100% moving all of this because I'm Is that our safe one now? <laughs> cutting, cutting. Obviously cutting you have form. to cut that. Obviously. Oh. We are better people than this and I have not done this. Okay. I'm the better one. <laughs> I'm the one who's in abject horror. I'm good now. Okay. Hey, so lots of time goes into recording one of these episodes and for one reason or another, things don't make it in. Which is what I usually say. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened at all. This Cutting Room Floor doesn't have any bonus content from the actual episode. Although I could absolutely put in the part where Joe fell asleep and we had to wait to wake him up. That was funny. Probably going to put that in a bonus episode at some point, because it's too fun. Our friend Jono actually ended up going to the TIFF world premiere of Call Me By Your Name. And I was fortunate enough to be able to talk to him about that experience, what he thinks of the movie, and just all in all, what we think about Stonewall. Oh, not the place, and not the movement. The movie. I promise. We're not awful. That was awful. Anyway, take a listen. I'll be back at the end. Talk to you then. I, I would, I, so I mean, I guess hearing your opinion, because I mean, when um, you asked me to do this and you were very, very adamant that you could not stand this movie, uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was not like shocked, like you're allowed to have your own opinion, but I mm -hmm. really hadn't heard anybody like so fervently, like absolutely hate this film. Yeah. So how did this happen? You, you saw this film and then I guess saw the actors. Yeah. I read the book prior mm -hmm. and then somehow magically was able to secure two tickets to the TIFF world premiere of it. So obviously if you've ever been to a TIFF premiere, it's, they show, they come out on stage, they do a little bit of talking and then they, you know, they leave because I couldn't imagine wanting to watch a movie you were in. And then they, you know, the movie plays and then afterwards you have to do the standing ovation thing and mm -hmm. they time the standing ovation because obviously that becomes some trivia. Yeah. And then they answer questions that typically aren't questions. It's more or less just them. Doting and fawning. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, that's how all Q&As go. What was the what was the response like? I would argue with Tiff in Toronto as a, like in Canada as a whole, we are uh, overtly kind. Where you're going to get a standing ovation at the premiere regardless if the movie sucked or not. And you'll this movie I I liked. I know you didn't care for it, so I knew there was going to be a standing ovation, and I know that they time it. I, I unfortunately don't have the time for you, so I. But I know it was probably over five minutes of a standing ovation. Whereas, I mean, if you were going to the Cannes Film Festival, like they openly will boo or they will really? walk out. Like they let you know, you know, if you get a standing ovation of Cannes, like that's that's the trivia. That's like the rating you would use. Because yeah. a standing ovation at TIFF, like honestly, I could put up the worst movie ever. They could play a Steven Seagal film and just out of sympathy, people would stand and like, you know, give him the standing ovation. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we did the standing ovation, you know, you clap, they come on and they ugh, act surprised, like they couldn't believe you're standing for this film. And then, you know, and then they begin the Q&A. Like, do you remember any of the questions that were asked of the of the actors or the director? One of the annoying things uh, with every Q&A is definitely the, you know, well, I wasn't this part in the movie. Like, you know, what was like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Why was an entire character cut out? Yeah, well, and I mean, it wasn't even that. So there is a very, in my opinion, disgusting bathroom scene. I wish there was a camera on me because like the eye roll that I gave, because I was like, there's no way they were filming that bathroom scene. Like, no. thank you. And so of course, like there's like the, and like 
they're on camera, the actors. So obviously they have to like, oh, like, well, you know, we were down for everything. And, you know, but like that just like wasn't in the script. Like, and I was like, no, like, no, you idiot. Like, again, it's the questions that like didn't need to be asked. And obviously they only give you, they only give them like four questions. Yeah. And so I remember that question distinctly. And then I think the other ones were, oh my God, you're so beautiful and just amazing. And like that scene where you just like cried was just like so beautiful. And I just like wanted to ask like, what was it like being in Italy? Like, you know what I mean? Like where it's like 45 compliments and then it's like a really boring, like what was it like being in Italy during the shoot? Like, you know, what were they going to say? Like, oh, Italy was God awful. Thank you for asking. I hated it. You know, it was just, you know. You were literally standing in front of the director and the two actors. Ask them something more, a little more than, you know, shallow, (laughs) like surface deep. Like, come on. It's funny you say that they didn't want to stay and watch the movie because both of them, they say they would have been fine with nudity, made it very clear in their contracts they would not do full frontal. Um, so yeah. it's a it's a combination of the director saying, well, I didn't want to make it too explicit because I think it would take away from the story. But then really, it's also because they refuse to do it. So they'll make out, they'll go and they'll make out for an hour and then come back and make it look all natural or they'll roll around and have to be told to stop. And that's fun for uh, interviewers. But it was also very clear in the contracts they wouldn't do it regardless. So <laughs> they were clearly lying too, just so we're clear. Like I want that jotted down. Like Luca Guadagnino, if you've ever seen any of his other films, they are like sexually, sexually explicit. Like there's the one movie I saw where it is two men in a very long full frontal scene, just beating each other up in a pool. So that's called A Bigger Splash. I would highly recommend it. It's a wonderful film. It's not LGBT, so it probably wouldn't work for this podcast format, but. (laughs) That sounds more interesting than all of Calling By Your Name, but keep going. Yeah, there's there's also a lot of female nudity in it too, which anyway, because I saw that movie and then I've seen a couple of his other films before. So I was expecting a very foreign film and, and he did cast two prudish Americans for this movie. And especially if you've read the book, the book is way more explicit oh, than yeah. the uh, movie was. I have the audiobook read to me by Army Hammer and it's genuinely the only time I enjoyed Army Hammer because his voice is beautiful. And so hearing him... Mm-hmm describe the scenes in such vivid and explicit detail i was down but to see them (laughs) to see them in the movie i was like oh god damn it this is terrible (laughs) and i have to think like that poor girl god forbid they show their penises and will have to digitally edit out army hammer's testicles but that poor girl her tits are just out her tits are out in like, the, in like the grossest house, like the grossest set ever. The too. Like grossest. There is, gen- I don't care how old you are. There is no way that is an UTI waiting to happen. There is no way you'd put me on a dusty mattress in the middle of nowhere in what looks like a gross tower. Like Rapunzel left, like she's gone. <laughs> like that was disgusting. Like Oof. there's like rope nails everywhere. I'm just assuming like if you don't get a UTI, you're definitely going to get some form of hepatitis. Oh my God. Although speaking of that kind of like disgusting fans, did you see anyone holding like a peach or anything like that in from the premiere? No. So there were people wearing peach attire. I do remember that. I, I, I 
think that they were probably more like they go through your bags for the TIFF premieres. Yeah. Um, so you can't really bring in bottled water and I'm assuming you couldn't bring in food. I didn't try <laughs> either. So um, I do. Yeah. But I can assume definitely they stopped people from carrying peaches in. Like I'm almost, like, I, I can't uh, tell you for sure, but I could absolutely assume if there were people dressed in peach, clothing or you know or had them fan art t-shirts you know made of them already yeah like i can assume someone definitely brought a bag of peaches and was going to try and give it to them yeah so both the director and timothy chalamet admitted to trying to masturbate with a peach prior to make sure that it could work and then it did mm -hmm. work and so he's like yeah we're definitely gonna keep that scene and it's totally usable that's why first off that whole scene makes zero sense like to me i i understand like a 17 year old boy is horny 98 percent of the time if he's not if he's awake he's horny but i i can't tell you the amount of times i put my dick in something that was like fruit or vegetable based like i've never done it like i i couldn't fathom the idea so i don't like unless it's like a joke you know like put your dick in a watermelon ah, ha 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 but like but a peach like it's so little <laughs> I mean, that's, I've never, I, I too have never uh, tried anything wild like that. I wouldn't need to try it to know that it could be done though. Yeah. Like if you, yeah, if you were like, oh my God, like, you know, it's like the American pie scene or it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, you could masturbate with, yeah. Like I assume you can pretty much masturbate with anything. Like if you try hard enough, you could do it. I mean, you might die, but you could do yeah. it. You so yeah, I really found something. that. <laughs> it, yeah. It would be. Like, you would have your dick in something. Do you have to? Yeah. Probably not. Um, so I don't think uh, you need to. This <laughs> ever. Like, ever. <laughs> like, straight boys are weird. Um, or oddly bisexual coming to terms with their own sexuality. I never... So, I, I don't know how you felt with this, because in my mind, I saw Elio as... I, okay. Stuart and Joe both saw them more as bisexuals understanding their cravings for male sexuality. What was your take on the two characters after reading the book and seeing the movie? I think in my opinion, I think actually both the characters were gay. When I read the book, I thought that, and I think the issue for me is that the book is written by a man who identifies as straight, who had a homosexual experience. And then the movie was played by two straight actors who I think went into their role with the book as like, well, they never label them, so we won't label them. So the reason it came out so ambiguous is because they intentionally went out of their way to not play it as gay or play it as bisexual or play it as straight. They just uh, went into the role and they got really into it and, mm -hmm. and you know, and did all that nonsense. It's so funny how... Timothy Chalamet is getting praised for his acting ability, for the fact that he learned the piano, the fact that he learned Italian, um, for his crying, for carrying the scene where Army Hammer's like, oh, they had to cut my balls out uh, in post. I'm not a writer, clearly. And so that's why I podcast. But I think it's interesting that a straight man read a novel about two men finding their sexuality with one another because I guess he had a homosexual experience once or twice, probably. Do you find that his writing is then, quote, brave? Or do you find him pandering to an audience using a, a basic style and trope? 
but just adding two gay men rather than a man and a woman. I well, okay. So I would definitely say I, I even when I did when I went to the Q and A, and even just in all the interviews and all the press that they had to do for it, they definitely did have that like type of brave mentality, which yeah. is uh, annoying and frustrating. And then they would. So they would try to be brave or they would try and come off as brave, but then they would also like, oh, I don't want to be called brave. Like, I don't think it's brave because I man- made out with a man on a film. Like I'm yeah. an actor. Like some days I'm a giraffe and then the other days I'm, I'm a gay man. It's like the Scarlett Johansson, you know, conundrum that she always seems to have. Yeah. It's like, I'm not a trailblazer guys. Stop. I'm not, but Thank you. Like what? <laughs> well, but that's the exactly thing. It's it's how Hollywood sees bravery in their male actors, their male quote heterosexual actors, is to the the biggest thing for them to do is to play a gay man, whereas a big biggest thing a woman can do is stay young and relevant. It's so ridiculous. Or get ugly, right? Yeah, they love when a beautiful twenty something year old actress gains twenty pounds. And yeah. puts brown contact lenses on and, you know, yeah. talks with like a gruff, you know, I just think of Charlize Theron and Eileen Warnos. Like yeah. she was great in it. But it was, you know what I mean? Half yeah. of the mystique and allure of it was like, look what we did to this beautiful woman. Like hundred percent. She shaved her eyebrows off and stopped wearing a bra for two weeks. Let's give her an Oscar, right? <laughs> no, it's a hundred percent true. Well, I mean, we just spoke about Call Me By Your Name, where Esther Gorell, the the actress who plays the uh, ill-fated girlfriend, <laughs> who just kind of comes in and, you know, and is it does a good job with the role, but comes in, gets naked for a really, really raucous, disgusting sex scene, and then doesn't even get to have her anger moment. Like, I would even argue in the book, too, she's just kind of like, oh, that's fine, you had sex with me, but you were never really interested. Like, whatever, like, that's yeah. cool. Like, because that's how a teenage you know. girl would react to such a thing. Absolutely, yeah. She, like, you know, I mean, her virginity, was it her 13th time? Was it, we couldn't be bothered to ask. I don't, we didn't care, right? Like, we just wanted those two men together, and she unfortunately had to pay the price. Yep. in both, you know, UTIs and tetanus shots. So, <laughs> yeah, at one point she's just being floored literally on the grass and then the next one she's on this disgusting mattress. It does not care about her. <laughs> like no. It anyway. Now, no. I so I I watched the movie, I then read listened to the book because I'm not going to pretend I read. And then I watched the movie for a second time. And in the second time, I completely understood Timothy Chalamet's performance. I understood. I saw the emotions in his face. I saw uh, the way he was reacting to things. I understood. How did you feel about watching these characters interact with each other? I mean, when I read the book, I mean, the book I really enjoyed and liked just because I think um, at the heart of it, it really does, does a good job of showing you a 15-year-old's brain or a 17-year-old's mm-hmm. brain, sorry. Um, You know, and just kind of the fantasy and the, uh, you know, and just understanding who you are and what you are and and what you want. And definitely what you want isn't what, you know, you were raised to believe. I mean, you're supposed to obviously meet that beautiful girl and, Mm -hmm. you know, fall in love with her and gross, have children and all that nonsense. So, uh, you know, obviously the book does a good job of the yearning and then you finally get what you want the character Mm. in the book um so i guess if yeah you saw the movie you don't get the inner monologue 
And so you can't really truly tell what's going to happen until it happens. The book, I loved the book just because uh, I could relate to the kid. I I didn't have a wildly inappropriate relationship with any of my parents' teaching aides. Um, But I just think the mindset of the book was so well done. Um, And it was sort of a fantasy. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you know, I mean, you know, who wouldn't have wanted to be 17 and seven uh, in, in Italy, right? Like in Northern Italy and, you know and have a wild sexual tryst with somebody like mm-hmm. hello uh, <laughs> and then when, and then when you watch the movie i think the movie did a really good great job with atmosphere and i mm-hmm. would argue um i would recommend to you and anybody who listens to this to watch uh, other luca guadagnino films i think he does a phenomenal job with collecting and grabbing the atmosphere and really making the movie feel like um like a piece in time. He did a really good job. You're right with the music and the, and Sufjan Stevens, of course, and mm-hmm. really just the, the, the colors, the cinematography, uh, and the acting was phenomenal. Uh, you're, I would argue Army Hammer really didn't have to do much. I, I would say with Timothy Chalamet, he kind of lifted him up exponentially and yeah. even michael stolberg who plays the father just oh. has beautiful moments and of course you are also right army hammer has looked 35 for the last 12 years uh <laughs> you uh i will give you uh, uh the miscast opinion is definitely correct because timothy chalamet does look like a child and army hammer who was supposed to play a 25 year old and we've seen him acting since 25, never looked 25. Yeah. I uh, truly, maybe the womb, he came out as a 12 year old because he has looked older than he actually is. So uh, yeah, there definitely could have been a creep vibe to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause at, at no point in the movie do they say he's 24. So it, it genuinely does look like someone's creepy uncle hitting on a child, um, which just, brought this whole level to it that I, I didn't. So for, um, again, I'm watching for the first time, it brought this whole ick factor. There was something odd about it. I will say that I'm glad that I forced myself to watch it a second time, because though I really dislike, I just very much dislike this movie. I don't hate it as much as I'm just, I will, I'll probably never watch it again. Um, I, although I say everyone should watch it at least once the sets are beautiful. The soundtrack is stunning. Timothy Chalamet is a phenomenal actor and I think one of the reasons that I hated it so much is because he plays a perfect 17-year-old boy. He has that angst and that confusion. He plays it very well. But you're right, because you can't really dive into the mind or get his inner monologue, you genuinely don't know what he's thinking. So when you, un- unless you know why he's responding the way he is, it really just does seem like he has complete disdain for everyone around him. And then, and then all of a sudden he's flirting or making out with a much older man. Very confusing. Um, yeah, they, they throw that one student line in like really quickly, like at the beginning of the movie, right? So mm-hmm. like, you you know, if you don't catch it, you're right. It's like, oh God, what is this 35 year old <laughs> cologne salesman doing here? And like, why is he touching that? <laughs> why is the Vancom guy here? Gardevoir, <laughs> <laughs> <Noir>, baby. <laughs> The one weird ironic thing is the the beautiful moments weren't really in the book. Like the dad and the mother 
are, are really you like if you're reading the novel you're kind of like oh that's right they're still here like yeah. oh that's you know oh exactly. they have that one Mafalda, the the one nurse maid whatever whatever housekeeper whatever that is in italy I, that's not something in north america we don't have that so i don't know what her deal was but she kind of pops in and around the movie and then shows up in the book a couple times mm-hmm. I, I made the argument where the unfortunate girl who slept with him you know they didn't really give her like she should have been given an angry moment or she could have been you know we should have given her her moment because mm-hmm. he was a bad person to her yeah. right like uh they didn't but uh, the movie and the book um, it was just, it was just sweet. Like even the ending where spoiler, like they don't end up together, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world, right. To experience heartbreak, right. Especially heartbreak that wasn't uh, so deep or steeped in tragedy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think it's interesting because this, this film took place in 1988. I, sorry, it was an 82 or 83. 83. Oh, okay. Then it's not. As bad then, because I'm like at this point you're getting right into the AIDS epidemic, so I can understand where parents yeah. would be a little more cautious about their child just running willy nilly with another person. I, I mean, gay or straight, and same with Oliver. Stefan, that's the sequel. That's the, is that the actual sequel or? <laughs> that's the actual, the actual sequel. Yeah, uh, okay. the one that's being planned, not that god awful sequel book that we're not going to talk about. We're pretending doesn't exist. That book um, does not the, exist. <laughs> no, I don't know what book you're talking about. There's no book. There's no second book. But uh, oh. Luca Guadagnino and Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet are returning for a sequel. I believe it's the same name as a second book that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. However, it's going to be set in them reuniting. I think you're probably in the 88 or 89 era, and it's going to have heavily influenced the uh, AIDS epidemic. Wow. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, I mean, you didn't really like this one. So you're probably not going to be. <laughs> well, if I thought this one was a little tropey, that's going to be upsetting. That's, that is beyond Oscar bait. That is asking for everything. It's like, look what yeah. I can do. Oh, Jesus Christ. I, mm, okay. Speaking of, of destroying queer history and exploiting. Yeah. We're doing Stonewall soon. Have you heard of this movie? Oh God. That 2015 movie. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you want to be a part of that. I'm going to be brushing my hair that day. I unfortunately won't be able to make it. <laughs> you didn't say what day, but I will be brushing my hair every day until you do it. And then I will and then I will be free a minute afterwards. So. <laughs> oh, it just ended? Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. I was all ready. Oh, my God. My hair looks so great right now for this podcast. Or like <laughs> next time I get Stonewall 2, you know, it's Stonewaller, right? Like whatever the Stone sequel harder. is. <laughs> Stone harder, yeah. Uh, I honestly, I would do any other movie but Stonewall. Like that, I might, that's on my resume, actually. <laughs> Will I'm not missing. work for Stonewall, yeah. <laughs> I'll see Roland Emmerich in hell, right? <laughs> All right, so that was our cutting room floor for this week. My thanks go out to our very special guest, Jono, for joining me. If you liked it, amazing. You can reach me at S-J-M-A-R-O-N-I, that's S-J Maroney, on Instagram. And for more content, look for R-W-A-C-P-O-D on Instagram. We'll be back on Saturday with a brand new episode. It might be Death Becomes Her, 
It also might be Tu Wang Fu. It'll probably be Death Becomes Her. <laughs> but you know what? Look out for Tu Wang Fu. Either way, great episodes with awesome people. In both, we have Chad, Joey, and Stuart joining me. It's a blast. Very passionate, very fun. Until next time, I'll talk to you then.